0: back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined here by my co-host and star of this show, Bob Schaefer, and this is Touch Them All. This is episode 295 on the network, and we're glad to bring you a show today. Before we bring Bob on, uh, got a great one in store for you today. Just want to thank our faithful audience, 50,000 plus subscribers. Uh, Because of you, we are now the latest podcast network on iHeartRadio, PodStreams. You can still get us on our old networks, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, but iHeart is the newest, uh, I guess... For lack of a better way of saying it, we made it we our cup of coffee in the big leagues right now. So let's see if we can stay. Um, counting on you guys. Make sure after this, sto- this uh, show, get with Bob, give him five stars, make, write some comments because we still battle the analytics of the podcast world just like they do in baseball today. Um, 74 countries out there. Keep, uh, keep supporting us. We will have our affiliates up by the end of the week. So you'll get, you'll get uh, additional uh, good gifts from us, let's just say, all the things and products that you're already purchasing. Uh, you will get discounts from, we'll give you the list of those by the end of the week. And you can use us and our codes and our names to do so. Allows us to reward our great podcast hosts like we have in Bob Schaefer here, a legend in baseball. Uh, with that, Bob, welcome back to your show. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be back. Yep. We had some guests on. Every time we have a guest on, they always say, tell Shape." I said hello. Tell Shape. I said hello. So um, it's you got a record streak going. We had Tri- Trip Keister the other day, long uh, longtime scout, uh, minor league manager as well at one point in time. And then uh, also Jerry, Jerry Trippiano, legendary broadcaster. Uh, everybody from the broadcasters to the, the on-field guys to the players, uh, they love Bob Schaefer, so glad we have you here.
1: When you get as old as me, you get to meet a lot of people. and I've been fortunate to meet a lot of good people, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, well, we're, we're fortunate <laughs> to have you, and I'm I, I, uh, very fortunate to have gotten to know you myself. I tell you, every time, every show, I steal something from you. So today, uh, our guests, uh, our, our, our our listeners – have asked us uh, the, the new way the lineups are constructed. You've got dads sitting on the couches watching games with their sons. Their sons know that the lineup's constructed one way. The dads are thinking back to the you know the good old days of Ricky Henderson leading off a game. So a lot of questions this week from dads and sons to kind of help bridge that gap and really want to explain to the audience how lineups to <coughs> be made, let's say. And, and maybe they're spinning back towards that. Uh, the pendulum seems to be swinging back a little bit with some stability maybe, with some traditional, but with, with, with a little twist. But I want to start the questions off with what, what again, I'm talking uh, traditional style, what did the lineup card used to mean to the manager?
1: Well, in the old days, and when, maybe 10, 12, 15 years ago and farther, the number one hitter, leadoff hitter was a guy who gets on base, you know, good on-base percentage, uh, good base runner, good table setter, you know, good like two-base progression, go first to third on a base hit. You wouldn't necessarily have to be a, a steal and stolen base guy, because a lot of times you don't want the leadoff hitter steal, maybe get caught stealing with the uh, two, three, four, five hitters coming up. But you know, there happened some great ones like Ricky Henderson, without doubt, probably the best leadoff hitter in the history of baseball. He'd get home runs, and he could steal bases. And when he stole, he's almost like ninety-five percent chance he's going to make it. Yeah. Anyway, the number two hitter.
0: Well, let's let me take you back a second here. The lineup part <clears throat> itself now. Um, it, it, am I correct in saying it was sacred? It used to be the manager's baby. That was his card. <clears throat> he decided. It, it, it's, it seems to be a little bit different nowadays. It seems to be more of a cornucopia of decision makers deciding who gets to bat where.
1: No, no doubt about that. I mean, I told you before the show, example I had, I was scouting a team three or four years ago in the first game. The guy that let off, he batted fourth the next game and the third game he batted ninth. So you know the manager didn't make that lineup up. Somebody got it. One of those uh, propeller heads got it somewhere. Analyzed at starting pitcher and relievers, all this kind of stuff, and put that together. But you know, in the old days, a player wanted to know where he's going to bat, and the manager put his lineup together and probably pretty consistent most every day. Once in a while, you rest a guy, and you know so forth. But now they rest guys every two weeks. They rest them anyway because sleep coaches say guys need a day off. Well, Cal Ripken never had a day off for you know fifteen years, whatever it was. You don't need a day off. I heard uh, uh, you know, like the, the Braves, they don't give guys days off, you know, once in a while, but, you know, they feel that if you play every day, you stay conditioned. Your body gets used to it. You know when to lay off a little bit, like uh, don't run as much or don't do certain pregame stuff to keep yourself ready for the game. But nowadays, they rest guys, and we talked about it last time, you know, a guy brings his family to the game to see their best player and he's not playing that day. I mean, I think it's a little bit out of hand, but again, you got these research guys or these sleep coaches or whatever. They crunch some numbers, and I think it's bad to give a day, a day off. I and mean, once in a while, you need a day off, no doubt about it, especially if you're injured or slightly injured. But anyway, the big thing in the old days was continuity. You walk in the clubhouse, you knew where you're going to bat. You know who's going to bat before you. and You know who's going to bat behind you. So I had basically a set lineup. Other than now and then, you you know, you have a day off or you know, you hurt or something. But the number one guy, like you said, is a good base runner, uh, table setter, get-on-base guy, the second-place hitter. A lot of time, Most of the time, it would be a left-handed hitter because he could pull the ball through the hole with a guy in first. But he was a contact guy. He was a guy that could bunt him over. In those days, he used to bunt early in the game. Yeah. Could bunt him over. You can hit and run. And he was a good contact hitter. Now, the third-place hitter is probably the best hitter. Let me take you back to the second guy. What, the advantage of
0: having a lefty up, does, does that help with, with base stealing?
1: It helps with the base thing in a little bit, but I think the big thing is you get the hole open with a guy in first base so you can hook the ball through the hole. Yeah, again, man. that was before the overshifts. Now we're back to the regular. There's no more overshifts, so I think that ball through the hole is big because now you go first to third. So you know, when possible, but again, when a manager puts a uh, lineup together, you got to look at the opposing pitcher, get look and see who's in the bullpen, who they might bring in, in certain situations. So you put all it together. But again, you know, the Braves have had a it's almost a set lineup all year. And, uh, you know, again, they feel that, you know, days off are overrated, but just keep guys playing every day. You got guys played going to play 155, 160 games consistently, probably four or five of them. And, you know, they have not as many injuries as a lot of teams. But anyway, the third hitter is probably your best hitter, you know, extra base hitter as well as contact, uh, batting average, good batting average and so forth. Now, the fourth place hitter is usually the power hitter. But I think a lot of teams made a mistake by putting a power hitter up that strikes out a lot because he's messes up a lot of rallies. So, you know, it's good to hit home runs, but, you know, in those days, they wouldn't strike out like they do nowadays either. I mean, nowadays they strike out 200 sometimes. Some guys do. Yeah. But it's nice to have a power guy to hit a home run or whatever, but it's also nice to keep the rally going with a guy that can make contact. Give some examples. And I know you gave Ricky Henderson as a leadoff guy. We're talking the first
0: four hitters in the, in the lineup, you know, the, the most important four, otherwise they wouldn't be there. W- what are some examples, some additional ones, the leadoff guy, the number two guy, three and four guy over your time? And take your time with it. I mean, uh, there's, diff- there's different kinds of leadoff guys, different kinds of two guys. Um, who, who are some that you would throw out there for kids to look up?
1: But it always depends on, you know, you structure your team too. I mean, when I managed in my leagues, Otis Nixon was a leadoff hitter. Don Malley batted third. I think Otis scored about you know, 140 games. I think he scored 126 runs. And Donnie probably dropped Roadman about 85 of those times. But, you know, it's a continuity in the lineup. And, uh, you know, of course, Otis could steal bases. Uh, he could have stole a lot more base if I let him run all the time. But I only, only let him run when it meant something. But, uh, you know, we had a good team in those days. It was Class A in 1980. But I think, like, right now the Braves have a Kuna at that leadoff. Well, he's like a multi – Talented guy to combat anywhere in the lineup, but again, a big thing now is you know the sooner you get up, like number one hitter, you're going to get a lot more at bats than two, three, four down the line. I mean, I understand that uh, each line, each spot in the lineup gets 14 more at bats than the next guy in the course of a season. So Kuhn is going to get 14 more than number two guy. Number two guy gets 14 more than number three guy. So Kuhn is getting 28 more than the number three guy, supposedly. Which you know that that's another thing that you know, that's an analytical thing, but that's, that's a smart thing to do top of the order. But again, I still feel that a batting order should be put together where you get guys on base and you get guys can drive men. And again, when you put the lineup together, a lot depends on the starting pitcher, lefty righty and so forth. But I do think a lot of guys platoon in a lot more than they should platoon, especially young guys. If mean, I was a left-handed hitter. The only way you can gonna learn how to left-handed pitchers or hit them is to face them. Now, You know, Randy Johnson is a different story. Not too many left-handed hitters faced him because he was impossible for lefty to hit. He was tough enough for righty to hit. But you know, you have to use common sense. But I think that uh, consistency of your lineup is very important to players. They know where they're going to bat. They know who's batting behind them, and so forth. So you're. you're, I get back to the fifth hitter. He's. I like your real quick. (laughs) The point that I think the audience I want you
0: to grab onto is we're talking about individual attributes of, of hitters. But as you're hearing Bob talk about this, it's also about the collectiveness, the combination of of what guys can and can't do together in addition to individuals, So there's more to, there's more to a lineup than just, you look like this, you play like this, you bat here. Um, and also obviously what we're trying to get to the point where it's, he can't blindly pick it out of a hat or a formula or a computer. So go ahead, Bob, sorry I to, to interrupt with the five batter. No, that's
1: okay. But uh, I mean, you're right. I mean, to me, continuity and, uh, Consistency is most important. Instead of having a trial camp every game, you now some of these teams almost have a trial camp. You get two hits, where well, you're back top of the order. You go for four, you're back bottom of the order, and it just makes no sense at all. But that's the analytical thing. And analytical guys don't understand the insides of a game. I don't think Bottom. them. But <clears throat> all right, the fifth guy is a you know the second cleanup hitter, so to speak. He picks up the pieces that he didn't knock in, and yeah, you know, he got power, but he's a good RBI guy also. And a sixth guy is that is a solid hitter. Uh, may not be a power guy, may not be the best hitter as far as averages, but you know, he, he's comes up in a lot of key situations. The seventh guy, if you look at the uh, games, it's amazing how many times the seventh guy comes up in an RBI situation. So again, you want a guy that can use the whole field. <clears throat> you know, most RBIs are you know, balls hit straight away or the other way. I mean a good RBI guys use the whole field, and that's the guy that used the whole field and can drive some key runs in. <clears throat> now, number eight is probably your defensive player. <coughs> Excuse me. The defense player, not a very good hitter, but he's playing because he can play defense. And that's where you put that guy. Now, the number nine hitter is kind of a second leadoff hitter. Doesn't, isn't as good a hitter as a leadoff guy, but he can run, steal the base. So if he gets on, you start the order all again, and you got him on a base who's a threat to steal. And, uh, you know, again, getting back to the threat to steal is probably as important as stealing a base because if you, you're a good stolen base guy, but you're a threat to steal, the pitcher slide-stepping, he's throwing a lot of fastballs to try to get you thrown out of second base and so forth. So that's why the running game is so important because it upsets the pitcher. The pitcher takes some of his concentration away from making a solid or quality pitch because he's thinking about the runner. Now, this day and age, this year especially, a lot of guys are stealing bases <coughs> because it's a little easier to steal because you only throw the first base twice illegally. And after that, some a balker. You got to pick them off. But, you know, I don't think the bigger bases make that much of a difference, but that might have some difference, but uh, the running game has come back to force, no doubt about that. So that's how they used to construct a lineup. Um, you know, Ron Garden hired to me as a great manager. Uh, when we played against him. Uh, you know, Joe Maurer was his key hitter. And when, when uh, Mark Redmond played, he was a backup catcher. When he played, Guardy was sticking right in the same spot that Maurer was in, just to keep the other guys in your original lineup in a lot of order, which made a lot of sense. I mean, Redmond wasn't a great hitter, but he also got a lot, he was had a lot of quality at bats, and he wasn't Joe Mauer. But same token, it allowed the other guys to stay in order, where they're comfortable and have continuity. I like that. That's
0: a great point to make. Where, <laughs> you know, again, we see a lot of shuffling today, but. That, that particular player wasn't necessarily suited for that spot in the lineup, but it was more than about him. And it was more, it was more about the other eight guys around him having that continuity of understanding their role rather than, I guess, uh, just rearrange all the deck chairs for the sake of that one game. That, that's a, that's a smart thing. I think you saw that more back, you know, as you said, 15 plus years ago than you do nowadays. seems like they just pick it out of a hat sometimes. If, if yeah. I throw some batters at you, and again, we're thinking the traditional style. We, we had some, uh, people threw some players at us uh, to see if we could plug them into you know where where would you see them again? It's hard because it's isolated, uh, but you know we could talk about where they where they hit in their lineups and then uh, and then go from there where, where you see them as a traditional traditional hitter. For instance, first one they threw up was Derek Jeter. He batted lead off most of his career with the Yankees. Probably not your traditional lead off hitter, not the Ricky Henderson type. But where, where do you see Jeter? What, what would be
1: Jeter's prime spot in the lineup? Well, I would put him at second or third. I mean, he's a great hitter. He used the whole field. He can drive the ball through a shortstop or a second baseman's hole between second and first with a man at first. He was just a quality hitter that used the whole field. So he could bat. I'd want him to top of the lineup because I'd like to have him up as much as possible. I mean, he's a leadoff hitter, but I think second or third, you get more production out of him in that spot there. Yeah. But again, he was a great hitter. Not a lot of home run power, but did hit a home run now and then. And the big thing about him, he put the ball in play. I mean, the biggest problem right now putting the lineup together is too many guys strike out. There's too many strikeouts in the game. So it's tough to figure out where to put so-and-so. Now, the Phillies have Schwarber batting leadoff. Now, Schwarber's not an ideal prototype leadoff hitter because he strikes out, I mean, he's like 200 and something already, but yeah. it's home runs. He can't run. He's a base clogger, but he scored a lot of runs because he's got the, you know, Turner and Harper and real middle and those guys right behind him. So they get away with it, and... The fact he walks a lot makes it bad and average a lot better than 195, whatever he's hitting. And uh, he's a threat every time he comes up there.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought him up. I posted something <laughs> on Facebook yesterday because he became the, I want to say the 13th player in the history of the game. And it's names like Ruth, Garrick, Mantle, uh, McCovey's on there, uh, Tomei. A lot of Hall of Famers are on, on the list. Uh, Judge is on there as a recent one. But he's, a, he's the 13th guy in the history of the game to hit <clears throat> 45 plus homers. Score 100 runs, 100 plus RBIs, and walk 120 times. But he's the only guy in the list. Like Mike Schmidt's on the list. He's the only guy in the list that's hitting under 200. And I threw that out there and I said, How do we explain this? Now, the analytics people, the people that are married to that only, were right away saying, Well, there's more than one way to do it that it went into that realm. The traditional people were asking questions like, Well, how how many times did he strike out? Uh, What was his batting average? Um, And so my point of posting it was that the numbers, can't be the end-all, be-all. There has to be a story because you want to know. Well, how many times he had a hundred RBIs? But maybe. how many times did he strike out with you know with multiple guys on base? Or right. Um, right. how many times did he not move a guy over on second base with less than two outs? There's 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 a story in there that goes beyond the numbers that maybe explains his numerical success this year.
1: Well, he's got a bunch of RBIs and he has a lot of multiple RBIs. In other words, hits home runs with one or two guys on base, sometimes three guys on base. So. RBIs are RBIs, but the cheap RBI with a man in third, less than two outs, how many times did he get that guy in? So there's a lot of factors that go into it. I mean, there's raw stats and uh situation stats. I mean, there's no doubt. I love to watch him hit, but, you know, he's like – he strikes out just too many times. And uh, there's no doubt he'd do a whole lot more damage just putting the ball in play more often. But, uh, you know, I love home runs, and I like the way he plays – you know he's a liability in left field, so he DHs most of the time since Harper came back to play first. And uh, but you know he's surrounded by a lot of guys in that lineup that are pretty good pitchers, are players too.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Stat like a person in the lineup, it's an individual thing, but it's also collective. Same thing with statistics. You've got to have guys around you in order to put up some numbers like that. But you also have to produce yourself. Uh, the second, second guy is a guy that you coached in the minors, Bo Jackson. What, what where would Bo Jackson slot into a lineup?
1: Well, I coached him in the major leagues, but I'm uh, oh, sorry, he was. Uh, I never, I never had him in the minor leagues. Was well, I wasn't there when he played in the minor leagues. I mean, he played there one or two years, maybe. But you now, Bo was – It depends what day. I mean, one day he's like a third hitter. Next day, he's a seventh hitter. I mean, he would strike out two or three times a game. And other times, he had two or three home runs. But he was, you know, he could run the bases as good as anybody, maybe better than anybody. He could steal when he wanted to. He'd go to first, third, first to third whenever he wanted to. He goes from second to third on a ball in front of him. Like nobody else could do it, right? And he was—he was just an exciting player and can do stuff that not many people could do. But in a lineup, he's probably a number uh, five hitter, maybe a you know a three hitter in some situations. But you know, George Brett basically batted third, right? And uh, you know, we had a pretty good lineup in those days. But uh, <clears throat> I think that Bo was—he uh, was just a fun guy to watch, and it you know kind of a universal guy in the order.
0: What about uh, a very popular
1: football coach right now, Dion Sanders? Where would he slot into a lineup? Well, he was a lesser Bo Jackson, and that's nothing against Dion because Bo Jackson was awesome. But, you know, again, Deion could run. He could slap the ball around. He could get a home run now and then. You know, he was probably a fifth place hitter. I mean, it depends on who else you got in the lineup, but yeah, you know, ideally he'd be a fifth place hitter for me. <clears throat> so sim- similar with the two of them. Uh, what about a, a modern-day guy like Aaron Judge? Well – they got him batting lead off sometimes, because that's the analytical thing. More times he gets up. I think I'd have him down in the order a little bit so he can get some production out of him. You know, let the first two guys, I'd bat him third. He's a threat. He still strikes out more than he should, yeah. but that's, you know, strikeouts don't mean anything anymore. So he's kind of playing into the hands of those analytical guys, but, you know, he's a threat every time it comes up. The threat to, you know, hit home runs, of course, and, uh, he gets you a lot of quality at bats, but he just got to put the ball in play more often with two strikes.
0: Yeah. And he's, he's getting that batting average up there. Uh, <laughs> well, not quite what it was last year, but um, you mentioned this guy earlier, uh, Ronald Acuna, where, where would he sit in your traditional lineup?
1: Well, if it didn't have all those other good hitters in there, it would probably bat him third, but because you get Albie's bat in second, Riley and Olsen, Zuna, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there's some, there's some power there and there's some production there. So they bat him lead off to get him up more often. You might lead off at a home run, which he has several times. you uh, can drive in runs. you can steal bases, of course. I mean, he's probably one of the top, if not the top player in the game offensively.
0: Yeah, he's 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 got uh, he's got all the tools. Plus, and is that similar to a guy not the tools, but a guy like Jeter who batted lead off maybe by default because there were so
1: many good hitters in the lineup. They they. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know, that's, that's again, you, you put your lineup together. I mean, it depends on the you know, supporting cast. And, uh, you know, some guys are bet third in one team, bet first in another team. But Acuna, because you got Riley and Olson and Zuna behind him, and, uh, you know, a couple of those other guys that he can bat lead off and uh, get up more times than anybody else. And uh, he's proven that he's very productive batting lead off. And of course, you can steal the base. And like I said, a lot of times you don't want the leadoff hitter to steal because you got that second, third, fourth guys coming up. But when you got a percentage like he has, or a percentage like uh, Trey Turner and those guys, you know it's it's not as risky as you think. But it's still a little risky when you get you get them thrown out of second base with your top hitters coming up.
0: Yeah. What about a guy like Trey Turner? I think they have him hitting third in the Phillies lineup. What? What? what uh, where would he slot in
1: in your trip? well? He bats second or third, I think. Uh, you know, he switched with bomb. You know, Harper sometimes bet third and turn about second. But since they gave him a standing ovation, he's a different player. I mean, he's the same player I thought he was before. Because I mean Trey Turner is one of the top players in baseball, no doubt about it. I agree. Shortstop, first first he can run better than any other shortstop. He can steal a base, he can he can hit extra base hits, he can get home runs. And that ballpark's made for him as far as production. And uh but he's a quality hitter. But again, he's got Bohm and Harper and rear behind him. And Cuslanos even. And then Stott gets in there once in a while. So they can bat him second. And he's basically another leadoff figure for me because he can he can you know do a lot of things. Oh, he tries too. He
0: gets down that baseline in a hurry. He's one of the fastest yeah. in the game right now. Puts the bat on the ball. Uh, works works the gap to gap with occasional power. Now we, we the less glorified spots that you know, the eight nine spot. I, I batted there as a minor league player, never never as a college player. I was always in the leadoff spot, but uh, yeah. I was a much batter. And, you know, managers, it's their card. That's what kind of my point was, was in the beginning of the game. But when I batted leadoff, my role was very different than when I batted eight or nine in the lineup. That was clearly defined to me. Did, did you – how are the – how is – talk about the last two spots in the lineup. What's their role in the lineup, uh, in, you know, in addition to the same things everybody else has to do is put the ball in play. Uh, let's not strike out. Do you have other, other roles, responsibilities for those two guys in the lineup?
1: Well, I think the 8th and ninth guy, even the 7th guy at times, it's just interchangeable. Uh, you kind of roll the dice with them. Um, like I told a guy in bat the night, they said, uh, you're really a leadoff hitter, Just don't. I just don't want you up four times, just want you up three times in a game. Yes. And, uh, um, you know, you get one for three, better than one for four. But, you know, their, their job is just to be who they are. I mean, don't try to be somebody you're not. If you're not a home run hitter, just try to put the ball in play. You know, bunch for a base hit. Do whatever you can to extend a rally. I mean, the big thing... Contact is most important to extend rallies. And some of these guys, uh, you know, they kill a rally by striking out. And Billy Bean was, you know, who played for me and I coached for him in Oakland. He's a proponent about striking out doesn't mean anything. It's just an out. At least you didn't hit into to a double play. Well, strikeout never scored a guy from third, never advanced a base runner, never took a bad hop. Yeah. So the good teams have guys that don't strike out that often unless they hit a whole bunch of home runs. But, yeah, you know, I think the Braves, uh, I don't know what the stats show, but they don't strike out as much as some teams strike out. And uh, the 8th and ninth guys, they've got to keep a rally going by putting the ball in play, hit the ball the other way, and just give a good quality at bat.
0: Yeah. Um, one, one of the other things I was asked to do, more so at the bottom of the lineup than I was when I was at the top, when I was in the leadoff spot, I felt, and it was never verbalized to me, but I felt like if I got four at bats, three of those at bats were mine, and one of them maybe the skippers uh, where I had to do something but I always knew what my job was at the bottom of the lineup. I felt it was in reverse. I felt um, more of the at-bats were team at-bats in in the sense where my job was to maybe see more pitches at the bottom, or if I could get a pitcher to throw, you know, on a three, one count, I was a little less aggressive or asked to be less aggressive in the bottom of the lineup than I was at the top um, in a lot of different cases. Now, different managers, different rules, but um, those were some of the things that were impressed upon me hitting eight or nine. We know you're the same hitter as you were, the day before, but maybe they, you know, they did not like the matchup with me batting righty against a lefty pitcher or vice versa, lefty versus a certain righty, who knew? But, uh, you know, I I, uh, I always had that in my mind. In my mind, I was the same hitter, but I was being asked to do a, a couple different things
1: in those different spots. John, no, that's a good point. I mean, eighth and ninth hitter are just a bonus thing. I mean, you know, a lot of pitchers get in trouble when they walk to eighth and eighth place hitter, or ninth place hitter. I mean, that should never happen. I mean, they're batting eighth and ninth for a reason. Yeah. Just challenge them and see what happens. but. If they're good hitters, be batting up in the lineup more. Yeah, And every team can have a good hitter. Well, some teams do, but not every team can have a good hitter in every spot in the lineup. But uh, like I said, I think uh, as an eighth and ninth hitter, you just got to put the ball in play and just battle and, you know, bunt for a hit and do little things that get on base and just try to have some kind of uh, production for the rest of the lineup.
0: Yeah. But that, that kind of goes to the point um, of – when you're constructing a lineup. And I guess this is the message I got from, from my different skippers was that this is a collective effort to score runs. This is not an individual show. Sure. Sure. Guys batting first for a reason, second, third, and ninth, but t- together, if we do, th- if we do our jobs, we're going to, we're going to wear that guy down out there. And the guys that are supposed to produce will produce. And uh, you know, that, that lineup is a collective thing. I think sometimes, especially young kids listening, when they get slotted eighth or ninth in a lineup, usually it's, uh, oh, you know, you're, you're not one of the better players. But there's still a job to do down there and guys that hit eight and nine, the way you move up is to hit the ball, put the ball in play. As long as and I tell my kids I don't care where they bat, they're when I'm not coaching them, for some reason their coaches will come up to me and say, Hey, I've got you know, so and so Tanner batting here today, bat here today. I told myself, I, I don't care. As long as they know where they're batting and as long as they have a bat when they approach the plate. Now if you send them up there without a bat, I got a problem. But if they go up there with a bat, then they've got a fighting chance. And if they want to move up in the lineup, then that's their responsibility to hit the ball, put it in play, do the job yeah. you want them to do. Um, yeah. So, I mean, and a traditionally, the two of them usually bat in the top three or four when I'm not coaching. When I am coaching them, I try to bump their butts down the lineup. I always get, I get pushed back from the other the other coaches to put them up. I guess
1: that's uh, the reverse dad being harder on their kids. Yeah. Well, you it's make a good. lot of sense. I mean, I tell the eighth and ninth hitter if they get upset, and none of them really get upset, but I say, you know, better better than in 10th or 11th. I mean, at least you're in the lineup. That's it. And just uh, do the best you can, and like I said, do little things. Bunt for a hit, get them over, um, you know, advanced base runners, and just put the ball in play. You don't want a strikeout strike guy batting eighth or ninth.
0: Yeah. Now, I remember, and this is this was well chronicled, so I'll bring this up, the Yankees, uh, you know, Billy Martin, George Steinbrenner, they had a – an ongoing battle about where where Reggie Jackson should hit in the lineup. And I think Martin thought Chambliss should be hitting fourth for similar reasons you said. Didn't strike out a lot, put the ball in play. Thought Jackson should be hitting fifth. Um,
1: what, what are your thoughts on a Reggie Jackson? As a well, Reggie was a strikeout guy. and Like I said before, you know, you got a, a continuity going. I think the cleanup guy should not be a guy who strikes out a whole lot of times. <clears throat> he might be a power guy. He probably is a power guy, but he's more of an extra base guy that uses the whole field so there's no dead spot by having him strike out in the middle of a rally. Yeah. So I would think Reggie was more of a five guy. Uh, yeah, I mean, no doubt he was a great player and a great hitter. But oh, yeah. Chambliss was a better hitter as far as keeping a rally going and helping a team win. Yep. And you don't, you don't see a lot of catchers hitting in the three-hole
0: <laughs> like you saw Munson back then um, Right. You have to do those jobs. So to, um, now moving to the traditional lineup today, um, you know, now you got the dad sitting on the other side of the couch who doesn't understand what's going on, and then the son is there thinking, okay, Aaron Judge is a two-hitter in his world or a leadoff guy. How is the traditional lineup constructed? Uh, give us some insight into that. Who who has their hand in it, and then how are these? How does a guy go from one to four to nine? Um, or you can talk with Judge. That may be easier to hit on that.
1: Well, they have all kinds of formulas. They have all kinds of stats. They got all this stuff going on. You know, you got lefty, righty. I mean, when I put a lineup together, look to what they had in the bullpen. You know, it was a closer, lefty or righty, uh, what they have in between. So you are trying to match up that way when you have indecisions to be made to make. But uh, again, I think the set lineup is most important where you know we're going to bat. They know who's in front of you, they know who's behind them. And, uh, you know, the juggle lineup, you know, flip it around like that. You're just playing hocus pocus baseball and you're just hoping that, you know, you're throwing mud on the wall and hope it sticks. But, yeah, you know, there has to be continuity. Guys have to have some kind of security, so to speak. And they, they come to the ballpark, they want to know if they're playing number one. If they're playing, they want to make sure they're bet in the same place and order within reason.
0: Is do you think that is the modern player? Um, you know that guy again. We don't use names, but one to four to nine. Have they been brought up that way? Like, are they just used to that stuff, or is it is it? Do you think it affects them negatively when they?
1: Well, they got to be. You know, accepted because that's the modern day statistical analysis how they do it. It's not right, I don't think. But you know, you can fight it and you know beat yourself to death, and it's not going to help. So it is what it is. And it's tough for the manager to walk to the locker room or the clubhouse, knowing he didn't make up the lineup. I mean, there's there's no no problem with the you know front office making suggestions, but there's a the psychological part of making up a lineup. Some of these players, you know, psychology. You know, if you bat them down the order, all of a sudden they, they feel like they're terrible. And the whole game is psychological for me. So, you know, a lot of times you move a guy up second, first, second, maybe fourth, fifth, maybe sixth. It does a lot for his ego. And I think that's what a manager has to take into effect or take into consider- consideration when he puts it all together.
0: Yeah. Now, I, I love that point. I, I'm glad you brought that up because um, that's a component that no statistical formula can touch on. And, uh, it can work both ways. Uh, you know, so to talk on both those, so you talked about, you know, maybe a guy confidence wise moving him up in the lineup a little bit. Hey, you're a three hitter. Now maybe he's going to act like a three hitter, or there's more guys on base when he's up. So he's going to see more better pitches, uh, in those spots or the other way where a guy's struggling a little bit and you're just like, you know what, I'm not moving you down cause you're bad. I just want you to just get a different perspective on the game. Um, talk to those two psychologies a little
1: bit. Well, like I said, the game is psychological big time. I don't care. I mean, that, some guys go over 20 because they're, they're fighting themselves and the tension sets in. And it's such, psychological. The swing is probably the same, but they're panicking up there. They're swinging at the first thing they see. And a lot of times you move him down the lineup just to have him relax a little bit. In other words, the pressure's not going to be on him as much down the lineup than it is in the middle of the lineup. So, but I think a good manager explained to the guy. Pull him aside so look, I'm not managing. I'm not benching. I'm not putting you down there because you stink. We're just trying to shake it up and hopefully – you can come out of it, but just relax, limit the tension, have some fun, and get back to your old stroke again. But again, tension is the biggest thing that hurts hitters, and it happens. It happens to the best of them. But to take that tension away or help take it away psychologically is going to make the guy maybe get back to where he's supposed to be. Now, removing that power from the manager that that's a
0: that's a tool now that kind of strips the manager of one of their. I don't sound funny, but one of their superpowers, uh, to the ability to tap, touch a guy psychologically they no longer have that uh, ability to do that with the lineup card. Now it sounds like.
1: Well, a good manager has the pulse of the club. In other words, he knows who's, you know, some guys walk into the clubhouse and you notice something wrong. So you got to talk to him, you know, it might be ahead of a fight with his wife. It might be, it doesn't feel good. It might be, you know, this hurts, that hurts. But communication is the best, most important thing for a manager. And, we had a situation in Oakland one time and uh, the manager didn't play this guy who was uh, a veteran player. And I said, why don't you go talk to him and tell him he's not, why he's not in the lineup? He said, no, he'll find out. I said, no, just tell him. I'm just going to give you rest. Be ready in seven, seventh, and pinch hit. I'm going to give you rest. But he didn't want to do it. So I put the lineup up as the bench coach, hung it up in the clubhouse. All of a sudden he goes bananas, the player. And I said, well, he's right in there. So he goes in and talks to the manager. Next thing I know, I hear shouting and screaming. And, you know, finally... You know, it ended, but the player came out, it all ticked off. You wasn't the same guy anymore because, you know, the manager kind of buried him. Yeah. But it's called respect. I mean you respect it. and nothing wrong with giving a guy a day off. Just tell him it's a day off. But be ready. I might need you later. Why, well, why anyway, so would- they went into the manager's office and said, how'd you do? He says, I said, you didn't do too good because I could hear it out there. Yeah. But, you know, it's communication. It's just, you owe the guy, a veteran guy, you owe him a respect of saying, hey, you're not going to play today. I mean, you're not going to line up today, but be ready.
0: And then you sound like you had foresight, and I know hindsight's twenty twenty always, but you saw that in advance. Why Why wouldn't a manager address a player like that?
1: Because um, to me it sounds like common sense. Like that's, I don't know. I mean, this guy is a great baseball guy. I mean, he hired me to be his bench coach, but he just, uh, I think, is influenced by the general manager too much. But it's all about communication. I mean, talk to the guy. I mean, there's no, there should be no surprises in the game. If there's surprises, whether it's the player to you or you to the player, it's going to be confrontation. And and then it's going to fester. And it's just a bad situation. But good managers communicate. And there's no surprises. They tell people what's going to happen and why it's going to happen. And then the player will accept it. And it's not that difficult, but I don't know. I I try to convince a guy for, you know, probably 10, 15 minutes. But no, I'm not talking to him. Okay, good luck. How do you make out?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Now, explain it from the player's point of view that, that, that so in, in life anyway, too, if, we could take this baseball in life. We get people get slighted in their mind all the time. But when you don't communicate like that and there's that imaginary hurt, you allow that person to I mean, they can create whatever monster they want. And excuse my language on the air, but that son of a bitch is going to hate you to the day he dies if he thinks he got imaginary hurt because he can blow that up thing uh, as much as he wants. So um, explain explain the importance of that as a player. The, the fragility of a player coming in day to day, the struggles of
1: baseball, why something like that would just be a, a nice bridge to the next day? Well, I think the big thing, every player has an ego. That's why they're good. Cause they have an ego, some more than bigger than egos than others, but you know, now he goes back in the clubhouse and guys, well, how come you're not playing today? And he said, I don't know. And he's not playing because he doesn't know. He really doesn't know. But I mean, you know, instead of saying you need a day off, or I want a day off. I mean, that's, it's just a, you know, it hurts his, uh, confidence or hurts his ego, so to speak. And uh, it just, that shouldn't happen. Yeah. Um, as far as the,
0: uh, you know, situations with, with other, I guess with, with other, talk, talk to some of the disagreements with, with lineups. I know you've, you've been in the mix with making lineups, uh, both from the, the <laughs> standpoint and helping. What are some of the common disagreements when you're making up a lineup, albeit slumps, uh, matchups? What, what are some of the things that go back and forth, uh, either in your head or a, as a staff when you're making a lineup?
1: Well, one thing that bothered me is platooning. Platooning is out of, out of control. Out of it is maybe to keep certain guys happy or keep certain guys in, in or out of lineup. But, you know, left-handed hitters are platooning against a lot of left-handed pitchers. And to me, I think that's wrong. I mean, there's left-handed pitchers and there's left-handed pitchers. I mean, Randy Johnson in the world knows guys well. I can see you sitting down a left-hander. I know when I coached, we played them. You know, Madley was the only guy. Madley and George Brett, probably the only two left-handed hitters that played consistently consistently against Randy Johnson. And the players did him – I mean, the manager did him a favor taking him out of the lineup because he was impossible almost to hit. But those two guys were great hitters, and they needed the challenge of hitting against them. Another thing that bothers me is you watch a game in a fourth inning – they bring a left-handed hitter, a pitcher in to face a left-handed hitter, and they pinch hit for him. So they pinch hit, take the guy to line up in the fourth inning, and now you only have, what four or five guys on the bench, you use an extra player right there, and now they put a right-handed hitter up, and sure enough, the closer and the setup guy are both right-handed. So if you're going to win the game, you're going to have to have that guy face the eighth and ninth inning pitchers, and they're right-handed. So yep. to me, you might sacrifice an out, but left-handed hitters can get hits against left-handed pitchers. So, I mean, there's no reason to me to – pinch it in that situation. But again, that's probably coming from some kind of statistical analysis.
0: Yeah, very, very much short term in terms of its decision making in that regard. Um, as far as as far as far the modern day lineup, the way it's going, what are some things that you like about it, if anything?
1: Well, I mean, the modern day lineup, there's so many guys who sit out, you know, the rest coaches, sleep coaches, you can't play today. So you're talking about in a lineup of nine guys, you're probably about 12 guys on most teams. Now, the Braves are pretty much consistent. Those guys play almost every day, like I said before. But other guys are in and out of lineup, don't know where they're going to bat. And I just think that uh, inconsistency and no stability affects some teams. And to me, you got to get your set lineup, and then you can adjust here and there, depending on the pitchers and depending on the bullpen. But it's nice to know if you come to the ballpark, you're definitely going to play that day. And I think a lot of teams that struggle, you know, probably less their players. So it's tough for the manager to get the right combination. But uh, I'd like to see more consistency and, you know, more like a pattern of who's going to play where and when and where they're going to bet.
0: Yeah. Is there anybody that's doing it that way right now that you see, I guess, more, more
1: often than I'll be honest. I don't follow it that close anymore. But, uh, you know, like the Phillies and Braves, you know, they both have real solid lineups. And, uh, you know, without the DH, it's probably a little easier to put certain guys into the lineup than it was with a pitcher hitting. Yeah. But.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I think you'll see the teams. And, I, and again, we'll see this when postseason starts and, and you've been in there um, yourself. Things seem to shift back to traditional style in the postseason where, you know, they talk about this numbers game. There's such a large sample size with 162 games. When you get to the postseason, it's three, five, seven games. and um that's not, uh, that's not something where math survives. Not that it survives in 162. So you see guys moving guys over a little bit more hitting and running a little bit, um, less craziness
1: with the lineup. Um, do, do you see the same thing or have you seen yeah, the it's, playoff baseball is different in regular season. First of all, the guys aren't playing for stats during the regular season. They dip, look to pad their stats a lot. A lot of guys do. Whereas in, uh, Season, you know, they'll advance the guy, to, you know, they bunt early in the game or they'll bunt at all. Some teams don't bunt at all, but they'll bunt in a postseason, get one run at a time. Uh, like I always said, if you play the game right, the stats will take care of themselves. Yeah, so you hit the ball to the right field, a lot of times you get a base hit out of it as well as advance the guy, but you're trying to advance the guy from second and third, nobody out, and you hit the ball to the right side. And a lot of times by doing that, you get a base hit out of it, like the baseball guys take care of you. But uh, you play off baseball, like you said, you go one run at a time. You still want to get the beginning, but one run's better than you know, no runs.
0: Oh, I agree, and I, I liken it to a phrase my our my kids and I my wife are playing playing out in the yard. Yeah, right. The baseball gods calling us right now. Sorry, what's that? That's the baseball gods calling us right now. Yeah, we, <laughs> we um, my I liken the the, the playoff to me when they start playoffs with baseball anyway, I like, I, I haven't watched a lot of regular season baseball this year. Uh, same as you. I just, it's, it's tough. I've been watching toward the end, like a little bit when these young guys come up, cause I, I like that, you know, they're, they're playing for their lives right now, especially like watching the young Yankee guys come up and, uh, and really putting it to them and hope they stick. But outside playing with my kids yesterday, my wife and, and uh, you know, just kind of playing around playing basketball. And uh, I was, I, I said something, you hey, going to go hard. And, and uh, one of my daughters said, are we playing for real? And I said, well, what does that mean? Because we weren't keeping score. We weren't, we were just kind of playing. Yeah. And so I that, that's, that should be like the the homage for the playoffs. If MLB playoffs, we're finally playing for real because the regular season, we see such a different product out there than we do in the playoffs. So um, I know they're playing, they're you know, stats out the window, you're playing for a world championship right now. Uh, with With this playoff run right now, does the lineup card change in the playoffs or that these these modern day, does it still being
1: called from above, so to speak? Well, I can't speak, you know, I don't know about the call from above. I mean, I I think some teams do, but usually it's the lesser teams because they're all scrambling to find the right lineup. Right now you're going to have uh, eight teams or six teams in the playoffs, each league. And they're usually, you know, are the best six teams theoretically and their lineups are pretty well set. You know, they know who's going to play each day and where and so forth, but I would think that depending on the starting pitcher and again, they're going to go left, right, a lot in the, in the lineup, which, you know, can't blame them for that. But I think that, you know, against the righty, certain lineups going to start and against the lefty, a certain other lineups going to start. And it may vary a little bit, but not a whole lot, but I mean, and again, look at who's in a the bullpen. They got to go from there too. So yeah. I would think that, uh, it'd be a lot of fun to watch him. It'd be a lot of fun to watch it and everything. And, uh, I would think that uh, I look forward to watching. I mean, I, I still watch a lot of games. I don't watch the whole game sometimes, but I still watch our team. I'm still a Nationals fan because they were good to me, and I know the players. Uh, and You root for those guys. But uh, there's other teams that I root for too. I mean, I'd like the way that some uh, – you know, like Cincinnati. They just feel a little bit down, at, down the where, but I don't think they're done yet. But, you know, with Baltimore, the way they're playing. And they play good. They play good baseball. That's where yeah. they're winning. Yep. And you, yeah. you got Seattle. I, I read or heard the other day like 0-11, 0-12 in extra 80 games, and they like 9-22 and 22 in one-run games. I mean, that's the case of guys swinging from their butt trying to get home runs instead of putting the ball in play. To me. I to ask you that. What does that tell you? That's, that's <clears like throat> yeah. So,
0: yeah, and I'm, I'm the same way. I, I I like the way the Orioles are playing too. They're, I watched them uh, – gosh, this was probably two months ago when I saw it. I was watching with my son Tanner, and they were moving the ball around gap to gap. They were hitting behind runners – uh, I felt like they had listened to your show the day before and just uh, just started going after it that way. Pitchers were throwing strikes. They were working fast. I know they've got the clock there. Uh, right. But they, they were uh, they were located. It didn't look like they were, we were back in fire, and I felt like I was taken back in time to like
1: 1985. But uh, we got they the were, last one. Okay. They were pitching, just like your hitters. The hitters used the whole field. Yeah. I saw a Tampa Bay game the other day, and I think it hit four, four. No, actually our team. We were two outs, nobody on. You got like five hits in a row. It's forward straight away or to the opposite field. I mean, that's what pitching, that's what hitting's all about. Yeah. Pitching and hitting is different than throwing and swinging. So if <laughs> that's a audience- good point right there.
0: So the, the last question. Now this could be a big challenge. I don't know if if, uh, if, you, if you don't want to go all the way through this, that's fine. We could maybe just through the top. But the audience wanted to know your classic. So you got your, you kind of had your definition for your the traditional way of making a lineup. Who would be your classic guy for each of those? Let's just work the first five spots, uh, batters one through five. You had your pick in time. Who would be your classic number one hitter based on
1: your descriptions? Number two, three, four, five. Well, you question my memory right now, but uh, I think Ricky Henderson would be number one, without a doubt. I mean, he hits home runs and steals the bases at a high percentage rate. Yeah, <clears throat> you know, Jeter would probably be number two. Uh George Brett would be number three. Um, I always liked uh, Mark McGuire be number four. Well, actually, uh, um, the San Francisco guys and get seven MVPs, he'd be number four. Is that Bonds? Yeah, Barry very, very Bonds. <laughs> then McGuire be in there. I mean, those two guys, you know, Sosa and those guys, they say baseball, but they don't get credit for it. Uh, that's another topic right there the steroid guys, but, uh, you know, they win seven Cy Young, seven MVPs, they ought to be in a Hall of Fame, but that's a day for, you know, sorry for another day. But, and after that, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. It, there's a lot of great players that That's for the top five. four guys. huh? That's a great five right there. You,
0: uh, yeah. You had the Henderson, Jeter, Brett, Bonds, and McGuire. That's a, I don't know if yeah.
1: would want to face that. Take my chances with them.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so let, let, let somebody from above come down and change that five on you.
1: Yeah. Well, you went on need guys above. You got those five guys in your lineup. <laughs> that's right.
0: You make a noise, but what, what didn't we cover? Say that you wanted to hit on, or, or what? Uh, how do, what do we want to foreshadow for next week?
1: Well, you talked about rotation pitching. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. We that's probably a lot to talk about in less few minutes, but uh, we could I definitely. One about, about pitching that I like to say is that first of all, they don't train the pitchers right anymore, and there's fourteen hundred fifty innings you have to pitch in the course of a you know, regular season, one hundred sixty two games. And in the old days, they had, uh, you know, maybe five starting pitchers. Like when I was in Kansas City, I think altogether we had like about 17 pitchers in the whole course of the year. That was 1988. And out of that 17 pitchers, we had – one guy had 269 innings, one 243, one 260, another one 189. That's four out of five guys that had all those innings. Now, you're lucky to get one guy throwing 200 innings now – no less two guys. But even before that, guys pitched 300 innings. But the thing is, a starting pitcher is so important because it allows you to use your bullpen the way you want to use it. So if you go seven innings, eight innings consistently, you only get two, you know, one or two innings left. So you can use your bullpen the way you want. But the way they run pitching now, five innings, guy gets in trouble, see you later, next guy. Now you got to go four more innings. Now six innings, not many guys get out of a jam in a sixth inning anymore because they don't let them. It's crazy because, you know, that's where you learn how to pitch. Learn how to change speeds and take a little bit more off and so forth. But they don't let – even in the minor leagues, they don't let them do that. They always go to the next guy. And, you know, they convert a lot of these guys too young, make them starters into relievers, you know, like an A ball. And uh, I one time told our pitching coordinator, he said, you know, you look at that Rollays Relief Award in the minor leagues, you know, you never see any of those guys in the big leagues. He said, well, that was me. I, I won one of those one time. I never got to the big leagues. But, I mean, you know, you don't make guys with good arms bullpen guys in A ball or even double A. Now, when I managed triple A for the Mets, we had Randy Myers. We made him a closer in triple A, but he a starter all the way through. He built up arm strength. He was strong as an ox. And he threw, you know, he knew where the fastball was going because he repeated his delivery, and he had a lot of innings behind it before he became a closer. And Rick Aguilera is another guy. We had him, and, you know, he started for me in triple A, and he went to the uh, Minnesota and became a closer. And those are really two good closers that were starters all through the minor leagues. And I think you can see that nowadays they draft a kid out of college. They might have had thirty innings all year, give them all kinds of money and make him a you know bullpen guy. But you know you have to learn how to pitch. You have to pitch. These guys are throwers, and we call them like rock throwers. They throw as hard as they can. Have no idea where it's going to go. Luckily, they, once in a while they hit the middle of the strike zone, and when they do, somebody whacks out a ballpark. And my whole thing when I scouted looking for bullpen guys, I want a guy that didn't walk anybody to speak of and kept the ball in the ballpark. And if you do that, you're going to have success. A lot of these guys who strike a lot of guys out, they walk a lot of guys. In the meantime, when they're walking guys, they throw one right down the middle, 2 1, 3 1, 2 0, and they get whacked. And it's just, I don't know, it's more like, like in hitters. How many home runs do you hit? Well, I don't know. Home runs are good, but they don't tell the whole story. All it is this how hard do you throw? Do you throw 100? First thing they say, how hard do you throw? Well, I don't care how hard you throw. How much movement do you have? How do you change speeds? How do you locate it? And, and velocity is the last thing of those three right there that, that help you, you know, win a game or pitch. But it's all, you know, go lift weights, get power weights. You know, I mean, I'm not against weights. I'm just against heavy weights. Yeah. But every day you read and think so-and-so is getting Tommy John, so-and-so is getting Tommy John. And then blame it on pitch counts. Well, pitch counts to me has nothing to do with it. I mean, they threw some of these guys 120, 125 pitches at times, they they're last a lot longer. But what happens when they throw 100 pitches or 80 pitches, they take them out of the game. So what do they do? They go in the weight room and start lifting weights. Yeah. I remember in Kansas City one time, They took you know, we took a guy out of the game, and Tony Pena did, and you know, the guy got upset. I said, well, you know, pitch counts. And that's when pitch counts really started coming into effect. Well, I go in the clubhouse a little while later, I hear Cling, clink, 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 he's in the weight room lifting weights. I said, wait, we took you out. So you didn't overtax your, your muscles and so forth. Now you're in here lifting weights. Well, it's my day to lift weights or something. I mean, to me, the heavyweights have killed the game. They've killed the, you know, not so much the position players, but even an outfielder like, you know, Bryce Harper gets Tommy John surgery. I mean, in the old days, how many outfielders got Tommy John surgery? Oh, that's weak injuries injuries with, with
0: position players. I mean, it's, it's a lot of stuff.
1: I know. And that's not from throwing. It's from doing something off the field, I think. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but – I know a little bit about it. I took kinesiology, and that was a long time ago. But I know a little bit about it. I mean, you know how your arm works, and uh, how your connective tissues, you know, they gotta stay intact. But when you get your muscles get too big, the connective tissue breaks.
0: Just so our, our audience knows, with connective tissue again, I'm not a scientist either, and I did not take kinesiology. But connective tissue is expensive in your body, and when you damage connective tissue. You're talking close to 265 to 280 days for recovery to get that back in order. And a lot of these guys are doing damage and not paying attention to that stuff. And, and unfortunately, the activities that they're being uh, pushed to do are damaging it all over their bodies. So it's it's, a, it's a, you're seeing, you know, like you said, you're seeing a right fielder have Tommy John surgery? Come on.
1: Yeah, I know. Well, that's just some lifting weights. I mean, Harpo's a big weightlifter. I saw him with us. I said, he's going to blow out. And he did. He, you know, he hurt his back, but... He was dedicated. He wanted to be the best. He wanted to hit the ball farther than anybody else, which he does at times. But, you know, your body's going to get stronger automatically. But, you know, when you get to be 30 years old, which he is right about now, but he started lifting weights when he was probably 15, 16. He was always the strongest guy around. And, you know, he's a great player. No know that about it. But longevity means a lot more than just what you do day by day or year by year. <clears throat> oh, I agree. I agree. We'll, we'll
0: get into more of the pitching on the next show, because I know that was an area the audience wanted us to try to help uh, see if we could construct a yeah. uh, rotation where we'll get into that 17 man pitching staff and see the roles like we did with the hitters, at least the starting five, the middle setup and closer.
1: Well, you look back, you look back in the late 80s, even early 80s, even less, even maybe low, uh, early 90s, and see how many pitchers were in every staff all year. It's probably 17 to 20. Now there's like 40. It's crazy. Oh
0: yeah, they shuffle guys in and out on on ten yeah. day, fifteen day, uh, sixty day DLs, and, and God knows uh, it's it's like a it's like a mass unit, right? Well, good deal. Well, we'll cover some pitching next week. Audience, get back with us on some things you want Bob to cover again for next week. We've gotten great responses from the shows themselves, and we're getting more questions now that people hear their questions being asked on the air. So, um, you know, today episode two ninety five. Want again, thank our fifty thousand. Subscribers plus 74 countries, grassroots MLB front offices. Because of you, we are now the latest podcast streaming network on iHeartRadio. So, thanks again for your support. We'll have our affiliate program put up at the end of the week. It's all stuff you guys are already buying. You told me, you sent me questions. I answered them throughout the year, 700 plus questions a day I was getting. And so, I sent you a questionnaire back. Almost everybody got back to me. So, we're going to reward you with some discounts on products that are going to support us. And as a result, we can support our podcast hosts in the future. So that'll start October 1, which is Sunday, I believe. Uh, And we will not be back next week with Bob Schaefer on Touch Them All. Bob, thanks so much for a great show. Well, thank you. Now, I'm afraid to ask right Bat in your line. If I'll have to let you, I'll have to show, show you me hitting, Keep
1: me in the two. I got to check it out.
0: <laughs> I can one, so I got a shot to be in the two hole, maybe. <laughs> I, bet you, I bet you third make you feel good. Oh, jeez. I don't need that kind of ego boost. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Bob. Have a great week.
1: Uh right, You too. Thank you.
0: Jackin' on old lady at a red light. Pull a gun on the owner of a liquor store. You think it's cool, like the fool if you like. Cuss out a cop, spit in his face. Scope on the flag and light it up. Yeah, you think it's
1: tough. Try that in a small town. See how far you make it.